I'm Amelia. And I'm Sophie. And welcome to So Ma, So Good, a Fruits Basket reboot podcast. Here we are talking about the third season of the Fruits Basket reboot. We try and keep it spoiler free, but we're both manga readers, so anytime we slip up, I'll put a timestamp down in the description, uh, as well as content warnings. This episode is late because... It was already going to be late because of, like, scheduling issues. And then we had, um, we've been, we've had a, sort of a, a time with technical difficulties here on Soma So Good. Audacity is my fucking enemy. Um, so, that's where we're at. Sorry this one's late, guys. Um, we're doing our best. <laughs> it's funny to record on a Monday. I it haven't is. seen the new episode yet. I purposely did not watch it. Yeah, neither have I. I... So I hear rumblings on the Twitter of displeasure, but um Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, Bata, but this episode was really good. This episode before. was a good time. I had you know, I had my as we always do, we have our little nitpicks. I had I came to some conclusions about <laughs> some issues I have, but our adaptational issues are like Takaya issues. Um, right. So Alright. Um Yeah. Let's jump right into it. Let's just go. Yeah. The so, box is the box. the box. The box. The box. The box. The box is one of the things um, that I like the least about Fruits Basket. <laughs> it's, it's just like, it just comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. It's like, and there's no like foreshadowing for the box. There's no, you never see it before now. Like there's things like that are big crazy twists that happen in Act 3, but there was like, foreshadowing for it so it works like shigure fucking ren is a great twist and has huge consequences on the plot is technically the um inciting incident of the whole fucking plot but there's like you can if you look look back you can like see the build-up for it you can see the foreshadowing the box is just kind of like and now a box that's akito's dad um (laughs) yeah it is it's something that, like, it's- because I don't think the the box, like, in and of itself doesn't work. It's just, like, the way it was executed. It's just a little harried. A little sloppy. Yeah. Um. That's just Act 3, though. That is Act 3. Oh, Act 3. Act 3. Um, yeah. So Akito, like, takes out the box, and they're like, you know what this box is? And Kuruno's like, you know? And Akito says, Father. Um, so I, I took note of, um, uh, I've been learning Japanese, (laughs) (laughs) and being able to understand, like, the, the nuance, not the nuances, but yeah, I guess the nuances of the language, um, out loud, as opposed to, like, I had only ever read this in English in the manga, uh, is great, because there's, like, there's a lot happening with the language of Fruits Basket. So, when Akito says father, they're saying, um... Oto-sama, um, and sama is an honorific that denotes, um, like, very high respect. Like, you would call, like, a lord sama. Um, like, I think some people call Akito, Akito-sama. Um, and that's significant because Akito doesn't respect fucking anyone. Yep. <laughs> like, no one is above Akito, except for Akita. Akito clearly holds Akita in extremely high esteem. Yeah. And it's sad because it's something that is not... It, it just cannot be expressed in English. We don't have language like that. We lose, uh, it's, it's actually, been, it's been fun as Sophie's gotten better and better at Japanese. 
like the kinds of insights she's been able to bring to the podcast because she'll be like, oh, I know what Kago is now and like <laughs> can actually discuss like the way the characters speak to each other and how that characterizes their interactions and their relationships to each other or characterizes shifts in the way they're interacting with each other that just get lost in translation to English because we don't have that kind of like language structure. Yeah. Right, because Japanese, it has, like, the plain language and the polite language, and also keigo. Um, and so, yeah, what characters are speaking in which kind of language, it's like, you know, it's something that we would obviously get expressed um, if it was written in native English, like, for a native English-speaking audience. Um, but even then, English doesn't have... It, like, like things like polite speech don't exist in English the way that they exist in um, Japanese or other East Asian languages. Yeah. Uh, so there's no OP this episode. We love no. that. Love it. It's, it's fun. Save that time. And also, do the Fruits Basket OPs, are they that good? No. Um, no. Yeah, I'm not, not, <laughs> not that upset about it. Yeah. No great loss here. <laughs> <laughs> so then we go to Skewl with... No. Uh, Haru and... No. Oh, no? I'm wrong? Did I <laughs> miss something? Good? You missed the same thing we missed last time. We get to Hero and Hina's Right! <laughs> I think I just didn't take any notes on it, so I'm just yeah. like, that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, right, so we get the scene with Akito and introduces the box, and then we get um, this moment between Hiro and Hinata, uh, his baby sister, um, which is a very sweet moment, and I think it like does influence Hiro's decisions throughout the rest of the episode, where he kind of just has this, like, moment of very pure human connection with Hinata and it's just, it's like the epitome of unconditional love um and I think like that it really I think that is very profound to Hiro that that kind of love um exists um in that way yeah good yeah because like he's from like his family life is pretty calm he has a fairly normal family life but even so, like, he's still had struggles, I assume, um, especially, like, with his parents. Um, like, like, e like as nice as his parents are, um, you know, his yeah. mom can't hug him, you know? Like, there's still issues. Um, so I, I think that is why, like, this is very profound, that it, there's no judgment coming from Hinata at all. Like, it's just love. Yeah. Then we go to school. Then we go to school. Uh... And we get Yuki being weirdly tall next to Haru. <laughs> Fruits Basket, I feel like Act 3 is like, has some, just in general, issues with being off model um, that upsets me. See, me and Sophie have different nitpicks where like last season, like the audio stuff was like driving Sophie insane. And this week the audio <laughs> stuff is a lot better, but yeah. it's way more off model, which is driving me insane. <laughs> Um, so, uh, but, in, like, they're not great about, like, making characters, like, consistent heights, I don't think, or, like, gradually making characters get taller in a smart way. So, Yuki and Haru in this scene are the same height, which just doesn't make sense and doesn't, it's not right. It doesn't um, make sense. Har Haru is, like, a big guy. Yeah. Haru's a big guy, and Yuki, like, grows over the course of Fruits Basket. Like, he's a different height now than he would be when he was at the start, but, like, 
I don't think he's ever supposed to catch up to Haru. Like, he's still kind of a smaller guy. Um, yeah. I think out of the three guys, Yuki is the smallest. Yeah. So I don't know why. I mean, I know why they're being lazy. Um, <laughs> come on, guys. Please. Haru's supposed to be big. Like, he's, like... It, to the point where, like, people comment on it, you know? Like, where Hiro, later on in the episode, is like, watch where you're going, you brick fucking shithouse. Like, <laughs> so. I wish that was Hiro's line. <laughs> watch where you're I'm... going, you brick fucking shithouse. <laughs> <you> bitch. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. If Hiro was American, he'd be, like, one of those 12-year-olds who curses, but, like, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shit you! (laughs) (laughs) He'd be like one of those people who'd be like, damn, and then like look at the corner of your eye at the nearest adult to see if they noticed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, this is super random, but I just remembered that when I was like 10, my favorite curse word was damn because Kyo always said it in the manga. That's funny. As a kid... (laughs) I would get in trouble for swearing because I didn't realize some swear words were swear words. Like, like what? Like I didn't think that "damn" or "hell" was a swear word. Uh huh. So I'd be wa- like, I'd be like a child, and I'd be like, "Oh, what the hell?" Because um, uh-huh. <laughs> I just like, I just didn't think it was a swear word, and no one had ever told me until I like at some point I was at like Girl Scout camp, and I said, "What <laughs> the hell?" And I got like a, some leader was like, "Hey, language," and I was like what language um (laughs) really goes to show that (laughs) language is a social construct yeah (laughs) um i think i think it was yeah damn and hell i just didn't know (laughs) swear words until i was older or until someone pointed it out to me and then i was like oh apparently those are like mild swear words but i didn't use any like big swear words i was just like oh what like damn damn it like i'd say damn it as a kid damn it (laughs) manga kyo always be saying damn it Damn. damn and damn it. Damn it. Yeah. Um, and also in the OG in the dub, he also says, um, remember when, remember when he called Otani a dirty bitch? No. In the OG, in the OG dub, Kyo calls Otani a dirty bitch. Holy shit. I know. <laughs> Hello? How is that allowed? I don't Hello? fucking know. I don't know. It's so funny. Oh I'm gonna have God. to like go back and find the scene for you because it's literally so funny to hear Holy Jerry Jewel be like, <laughs> oh, a dirty bitch. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm okay. okay. Anyway, I'm um, very off topic. So, yes. They have a combo station. Uh, yes. Yeah, so like Yuki's like, hey, um, are you okay? <laughs> And Haru is holding it the fuck in. That's like Haru this entire episode, just like, yeah. oh, holding it in. Haru's asshole is spackled shut this entire episode. Oh, shut the fuck <laughs> up. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you?
crying. Uh, <laughs> I'm like drooling right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's gonna be two hours long. It's gonna be an hour of us just fucking laughing. <laughs> um Yeah. <laughs> He's keeping a tight lid on things. Um <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Your audio is kind of cutting out a little bit. I can't hear you. <laughs> no, it's like my voice. It's literally my voice. Okay. Um. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> We're like two minutes into the episode right now. Okay. Um. <clears throat> so, yeah. So, Yuki's like, well, man, are you okay? And Haru's like, Haru's like, uh, oh my god, I'm like dizzy. <laughs> Okay, so Haru says, stop! (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I need to stop. Okay, yeah, Haru says. Okay, so Haru says, um, right, so Yuki's like, are you okay? Like, I heard Rin is, like, in a hospital or whatever. And Haru says, um, I guess normally I'd panic more. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's something been wrong with me. Which is, like, so sad. Poor boy. He's (laughs) having, like... I think the way I was kind of interpreting this is, like, Haru is sort of reaching a bit of a breaking point. Where, like, he's been trying so hard since he was pretty young to, like, make the best out of this bad situation. And help his friends as much as he can with, like, the extremely limited power he's had as, like, a child. Um... And it's still bad things keep happening. His The people he loves still keep getting hurt. He's still in the dark about so much of it. And he's just starting to hit a breaking point and, like, starting to emotionally shut down to protect himself. And I think, like, this, like, emotional shutdown is really upsetting to him because he's a character that I think is really characterized by, like, his kindness and his empathy. And I think, like, feeling, like, numb like this is, like, making him feel like a sort of loss of identity almost. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, like, kind of going off of that, like, it's, like, somewhat related. Like, Haru Haru does, like, normally tend to resist very extreme emotions, especially negative ones, because his outbursts have just caused so many issues for both, like, himself and the people around him. And so, like, there's, like, the one aspect where he's kind of... He's resisting so hard, I think, that, like, he is subconsciously numbing himself so that he doesn't have to deal with the pain and stress when it comes to Rin. But also, like, going back to what you said, like, I think it's creating a feedback loop where, like, he's subconsciously numbing himself so he doesn't have to feel the pain. And then he's feeling this loss of identity because he thinks of himself as a very empathetic person. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you've just never been in an environment where, like you've had any model for healthy ways to express your emotions or been in a situation where you can experience like a normal upsetting event you know like like your favorite toy being broken and feeling upset about that instead of like your best friend going mute from trauma like you know (laughs) he's just never he's had a hard time in his life Yeah, no, and, like, yeah, when things are so extreme, 
from birth, basically. Like, how can you deal with things normally? Yeah. It's not like his emotional outbursts are necessarily disproportionate to what's happening. It's just that, right. like, he can't, he has to keep them in check because even though he's not necessarily unjustified in his anger and his outbursts, it's still, like, causes problems it's still like upsetting for him and everyone around him mm-hmm. um, yeah it's also really unhealthy i mean he like yeah he, I, does he even i think he doesn't even remember yeah uh but yeah and i also think it's like somewhat of the like uh just general soma um coping mechanism not coping mechanism that's not the right word it's the general soma just like thing of like self-blame where he's like, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Um, which, like, there isn't something wrong with him. Like, I, he is reacting very understandably to this extremely stressful situation. But because it's just the Soba family culture of, like, when it comes to mental health, um, it's your fault if, if you're, like, falling. Yeah. Then he walks off. Away yeah, and then he just straight up walks away. I think he, like... Like, Haru hates talking about his own problems, and I think that he's very uncomfortable with the role reversal here, because he is Yuki's caretaker, usually, like, when it comes to emotions. Yeah. So, like, Yuki turning around and doing it to him, in in a, in a situation where he can't really, like... Because Yuki's done that before, and in that situation, Haru actually kind of turned it around back on Yuki. Yeah. But he doesn't do it here, cause, because Yuki's, like, actually doing fine. Being, like, the one, like, the helper... Um, is, I think, like, a place where Haru finds a sort of modicum of, like, autonomy and, like, you know, like, feels like he, like, you know, it's like when you're in a situation where you lack autonomy and control, you look out, you seek out ways where you can feel that, and I think, like, being able to, like, positively impact people is where he gets a lot of his, and so Mm -hmm. being in a situation where it's like, actually, I'm not that person in this situation is, like, stressful and upsetting. Yeah. So he fucks right off, and you can, like, hey, buddy. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> Alright, then. And then we get little Hero on... Hero mm-hmm. and Kisa trotting along. Yep. Um, yeah, Hero and Kisa. So, this is what I was saying earlier about this thing with Hinata, where he realizes that, like, unconditional love is real, is I think what pushes him to finally um, talk to Kisa about what happened with Akito, with her and Akito. Because I think that, like, it made him realize that Kisa loves him unconditionally and that she's not going to blame him for something that Akito did. Um, But also, um, and this is, like, something that has to do with his character arc, just overall about um, taking responsibility for your actions and thinking about how your actions affect others, that he realizes now that Kisa deserves an explanation about what happened since it involved both of them. Yeah. I have, like, mixed feelings about this whole situation, because on the one hand, it's like Hero's arc is, like, consistently just about, like, maturing and growing up and taking taking personal responsibility. So, like, this works. This makes sense. On another note, um... This whole episode has this constant through line of this, like, really sort of archaic gender roles of, like, men as, like, the protector and women as, like, the emotional provider. And so this whole, like, bit of, like, hero, like, 
becoming like a big brother and having like a little sister to like look out for is like what's like pushing him away from boyhood and into manhood because now he understands his role is to protect the women in his life which just like sucks yeah, <laughs> yeah no i it's not a coincidence that he that uh, satsuki has a girl yeah and oh um, boy so like yeah, it it like it still works for Hero as a character, but it's very much playing into this whole like arc, like this whole dynamic that I'm not a yeah. fan of, and is super president, not president, super present in this episode, especially like it's it's very present in Fruits Basket overall, but like especially it's, she's laying it on thick in this one. It yeah. just sucks. It's, like, one of those things where, like, I feel like there's a lot of stuff like this in Fruits Basket where it's, like, if it was just the one instance of it, I would probably just let it slide. Yeah. Um, but the but Hiro and Kisa, they basically exist to parallel other older characters. So, like, they parallel Kyo and Toru, and they parallel Haru and Rin, and they all have this exact same dynamic, and it fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like... Kyo and Toru are definitely the least egregious in this dynamic. Yeah, it's like, it's still present in their dynamic, but we definitely see a lot more, like, reciprocity in the way they interact with each other. Um, and that, like, it's not just, like, Toru being Kyo's therapist and Kyo, like, kabedoning Kabe her from, like, the creepy guys at school. <laughs> like, you know, like, there's, there's a lot going on because Toru and Kyo just have, like, one of the more, like, nuanced and, like, developed relationships where they have, like enough page time screen time whatever to like flesh it out into something like that seems like believable and like is more than just this like sort of dynamic um mm -hmm. yeah 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 they definitely like have the luxury of time yeah they do yeah i actually hero and kisa i think like the thing that is their great sort of not fault but like and not necessarily undoing, but because they basically just exist to parallel older characters, it means that their own kind of plot and, like, dynamic is kind of a mess. And, like, just, like, it's kind yeah. of all over the place, and it's just whatever she wants it to be, whatever episode. Like, Hiro has his own kind of arc about, like, respon like personal responsibility and stuff like that, but Kisa doesn't really get anything. Yeah. Um, like, she has that one episode with Yuki, but then she's also just paralleling Yuki. Like, that episode's for Yuki, not for Kisa. Um, and it's just, like... And it's it also just because it's, like... It's weird because they're paralleling all of these, like, older relationships, but they're, like, 12. So it's like <laughs> they have all of the, like, drama and stakes for some reason of these, like much more understandably high-stakes relationships with these older characters, but then they're, like, 12. And I'm like, why are you giving these impassioned speeches to each other on the sidewalk? You are babies. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... I can sort of suspend my disbelief, just, like, given their environment, but, so, yeah, sometimes it does feel a little inappropriate for their age. Yeah. Not inappropriate, like, in that way, but inappropriate just in, in the intensity of the Yeah, like, the fact that, like, you know, like, Hiro goes to Akito to, like... Yeah, that doesn't make... It, that really makes no fucking sense to me at all. Yeah. Like, there's... Like, it makes it made sense when Hattori did it, because... Yeah, because he wanted, wanted to get, get married. Married. Because <laughs> he was in his 20s. <laughs> yeah. Like, and Haru never even does that. Like, Akito just finds out. Like, it would have made mm -hmm. more sense if Akito had just found out. Um, right. 
So it's just, it's weird. And it would have completed the Haru-Rin parallel. Yeah, I don't understand some of the, I don't understand lots of decisions Takaya makes. Um, But yeah, I just think that their relationship is a little, like, overly dramatic in ways that I feel like don't work as well for middle schoolers as they do for high schoolers and adults. Yeah. Um, No, it's a... It's cer- it's certainly a time. It and it, it just sucks that like I love Hero. Um but it sucks that like Hero has such a more complete character arc than Kisa does. Um you can really see where Takaya's priorities were at when she was writing Fruits Basket. And for the most part, it was the men. Yeah. Which sucks because it has so many strong female characters that she just like dropped the ball on. She really did. She really Except did. for Toru. Toru is, like, really the only one who gets out unscathed. She, <laughs> like, I'll give her Toru. She has Toru. And she said... We'll... And Hanajima. Yeah. <laughs> Hanajima gets out unscathed. Hanajima doesn't have an arc. She's just, like... That's okay. She doesn't but, need an arc. <laughs> uh, she's just around, and she's great, and I want to be her best friend. Um, <laughs> I yeah. want to be her rich foreign wife. <laughs> You gotta get rich first. Um, I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And then they run into Haru, and there's Haru. A, and, the, and Haru says "moo," which is very funny. <laughs> uh, well, he doesn't say it. It was just a sound effect. But it would be funny as fuck if he just said it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, and I wouldn't put it past him. No, um, I would f- completely believe that. Uh. <laughs> He's like, oh, look at you guys. You've gotten tall because he's a cute big brother guy. Um, he is. And they're like, you are so fucking big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and then this is where Hero decides to then take the next step, which ties into the Kisa thing, like, for the same reasons um, that he decides to then tell Haru about what happened with Rin and Akito. Um, because he realizes that he, he knows what Haru and Ren's relationship is, um, and he knows that it's something that Haru would want to know, and that Hiro has responsibility to, like, the people in his life, um, to tell them things like this. Yeah. And Haru's having a bad time. It's- Oh, Yeah. Um, Haru finds out, and we see, we lose his eyes for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get this fucked up shot of Rin from behind, naked, for no fucking reason. Ibata, I will kill you. Like, why do I need a quick flash of Rin's butt cheek? I don't want that. Why is she naked? There's no reason for her to be naked. So dumb. Um, also, it's just an ugly shot. It is. It is an ugly shot. <laughs> like, it's got everything going. It's got nothing going for it. It's an ugly <laughs> shot. It's randomly sexualizing a teenager girl for no reason. It just sucks. Yeah. It's bad. Okay. And then we get Kareno. Kareno is part of this. Yeah. Oh, Kareno, you have such potential. You have such potential. And. You've just got this huge fucking black mark on your character. It sucks. Like, like this, like this scene and the, and the scene right after with him is like the epitome of what Kareno's character could have been. Yep. 
Yep. It's so sad. It's so sad. There's, like, so much that's compelling about, like, Kareno as this character that's in Akito's back pocket. Um, is, you know, as, like, drank... What, drunk the... What's the right... Drank... Drank, drank the Kool-Aid? Has drank, drunken, whatever. Drank the Kool-Aid. Um, but, like, is starting to have... Finally starting to hit, hit a breaking point. Starting to ask questions. Starting to, like realize that he's been causing real harm and wanting to do what he can to fix that um which makes for such a great and interesting character and then he fucks a teenager and i'm just like i know it it sucks because like he like first of all like he is a parallel to yuki who may who very consciously makes the decision to change things for himself um and karenda doesn't do that um, and he's also, like, he could also really work as, like, almost, like, a foil to Hattori because, like, I think that their personalities are very similar and the situations that they're in are very similar, except with Hattori, he's just resigned to the fact that this is his life, but with Kurano, he is making the active choice to make this his life. Yeah. Um, so, like, it could have, like, like been, like, kind of an interesting, almost, like, an IMA kind of storyline where, like, they realize that they're in the wrong and they try and change it while they're in this like shitty situation that Hattori is in where he's just like, there's no point in changing it. Like this is what yeah. it is. Like Hattori is like self-loathing, broken down, is like, I'm a bad person, but I just like, I don't have anything in me to try and fix that. While Kareno, I don't think has necessarily, like he knows that things are bad, but mm-hmm. I think as a coping mechanism, he's kind of like in denial about how bad things are. And this is about him oh, yeah. breaking out of that denial. Yeah, like, yeah, he's de- he's deep in denial, um, and I also don't think he's self hating, no, at all, not in the same way at all. That like, I mean, every soma is a little self hating, but like, yeah, you know, Hachiri's in a league of his own. <laughs> yeah, no, he really is. Um, um I want to talk about the maid. Yes, made time for Sophie. Made time for Sophie. Um, this was a really good episode for the world building of the Soma family and how the system of abuse is upheld. Um, because, like, you know, Akito is calling the shots, but then once Akito calls the shots, other people are making those things happen. Um, so we meet this maid, um, and she says her reason um, for doing this, being a maid in the Soma family, and um, participating in the imprisonment of a teenage girl, specifically in this situation, is that her father is indebted. Um, she doesn't say to who, presumably the Somas. She says, my father is indebted to if I fall out of favor. Um, so she is, I mean, she's really just a cog in the machine, and she's motivated by fear and loyalty to her own immediate family. But she's also participating in what is functionally a kidnapping (laughs) Um, and enabling the demands of an extremely mentally unwell serial abuser. Um, And I think that, like, as a function of her being an unnamed character who we never see again, I don't think that the audience is supposed to look at her like, like that favorably. Because, like, to us, it's very obvious that she's, like, doing the wrong thing. But I think it's, like, meant to show that, like, despite personal motivations, no matter how justifiable they are, the Soma adults are enacting real harm on real people, particularly children. 
Yeah. And that includes all of the adult zodiacs. Yeah, for sure. I very much agree with you on this. I also think that, like, part of her function is to kind of explain, like, how this has been happening and why there's all of these adults that are complicit in what is, like, very clearly, like, a toxic and abusive cult and, like, like why are like why has no one stepped in oh because like people have debt hanging over them they're being basically like financially extorted into like participating in this cult um like having their family's well-being threatened um and that's why like you know like not every single member of this huge cult is going to be someone that's like particularly like conscious or particularly like evil just people who have been extorted into these very bad situations and that doesn't necessarily absolve them at all of the real harm that they're doing but it like explains how this cult has been functioning for so long yeah agreed and then Kareno is like time to time to do a good thing <laughs> good for Kareno yeah um, finally finally um i was thinking about why these two scenes were like happening simultaneously um because at first i was like i don't really see the connection between hero and kareno um but then i realized that there was a connection between hero and kareno and it's that um their character arcs particularly heroes like i said but kareno's is also like this they express a theme of personal responsibility so like throughout the story hero is making a number of, of uncomfortable choices so that he can learn compromise and learn how to be responsible for his words and how they affect other people um, and that's why, like, at this point, he's finally gotten to the final threshold of telling Kisa and Haru these things that, um, he was keeping to himself, um, due to fear, but he realizes now that, um, he has a responsibility to the people in his lives. Um, Karna's a little more complicated, he's an adult, um, but, cause he partially takes responsibility, but he also partially, um, places that responsibility on Akito's lap as well, um, and... And he's never really outwardly questioned Akito before. Um, but I think that now that he's immediately faced with the choice to continue to turn his face away from the abuse enacted by the Soma family or to change things, he then starts to push back against the way things are done. Um, and I think that the reason she used these two characters is because Hiro and Kurino are both like very internal characters. Um, and it isn't until they actually can see the tangible effects of their choices that they're able to think externally. Yeah. Snaps. Good thoughts, Sophie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, they also do, like, a nice parallel um, with the maid and Hero, because the difference between Hero and Kurono, the big difference is that Hero is a child and Kurono is an adult. So Hiro has no power at all. So he's doing what he can. Like, he's telling Haru, who doesn't really have that much power, but he has a little bit more power than Hiro because he's not 12. Um, and so he's asking Haru to help Ren. Um, and then the maid does the same thing. She asks Kurono to help Ren um, because Kurono is, he's an adult. And also, he's a very, like, high-ranking member of the Suma family, so he does have actual power and influence in the family. Um, but yeah, so I think it, it just shows that, like, you know, everyone has a personal responsibility, but not everyone's responsibility is equal. Yeah. For sure. And also, it's like, 
like characters like Hiro is like a child and also still fucking cursed. Like <laughs> Kareno obviously like is in a controlling abusive relationship and I'm never going to like necessarily hold that against someone if they are having a hard time standing up to their abuser like we don't victim blame in this house. Um, we will shame Kareno for fucking a teenager, but we're not going to shame him <laughs> for, like, being in an abusive relationship. Um, but he's also, like, he doesn't necessarily... Like, Kareno is entirely con- controlled by this abusive relationship rather than, like, the curse, you mm-hmm. know? So it's like he has, like, a sort of ability to directly, like, disobey Akito that some of the other Zodiac members, like magical magically cannot um right yeah yeah it just takes a lot of work (laughs) right it's it's difficult but it's not impossible yeah but for the others it is impossible yeah and then i get the little scene of hero i like that hero kind of becomes like emotionally open at the end of zark it's nice he's a good boy he's a very good boy i I love i love him (laughs) i've loved him for many years i love hero Hero was one of Sophie's first loves. I didn't like. Really like was. I did not care about Hero as a kid when I first read Fruits Basket. I was like, "That's some random goat. I don't give a shit." Well, first of all, I loved goats, and all of my online usernames were Goat Lover Seven. So jot that down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sophie Lore apparently was a huge fan of goats as a kid. L- loved goats. Um, is he a goat? He's or a ram. He's a sheep. He's a sheep. I don't know why. <laughs> Um, but I loved Hero, but honestly, it's because I am Hero. <laughs> like, I'm literally Hero-kin, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I... I just thought he was so funny and smart. <laughs> yeah, the character I think I latched onto was Momiji as a kid. And it was, partially That's it was just because we were both rabbits, and partially because Momiji's, like, a funky little gender-conforming, like, impish gender- little dude. Um, it's because you're a Momiji kin. A little bit, yeah. I'm not a smart Momiji, <laughs> I don't think, but, you know. <laughs> not as manipulative. Momiji's... No, not I'm not. Not as evil. <laughs> I don't have evil master in my powers. I don't know how to manipulate people. I just am like vibing. Like, <laughs> I have a strong and powerful vibe check. I'm good at detecting bad vibes and steering clear. But that's about the... Like, as far as my social prowess, it kind of ends at my powerful vibe check. And sometimes my um, unexplainable desire to bully a man that always turns out to be a really shitty guy. Like, I will never have a justifiable excuse to why I want to say mean things to some random man I've been introduced to, but that I'm always right. <laughs> it's a skill. Yeah. It's a talent. Um, which I think is just an extension of the vibe check. I just have a good yeah. vibe check. Um, yeah. I would vibe check Akito through a fucking wall. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Dude, Akito's vibes are rancid. Just rancid. <laughs> I think anyone would know that, looking at Akito. Yeah. I'd see that little twink walk onto my school, and I'd be like, get Mm-mm. away. Out. I see you and your all-black little outfit, and you're sort of just- you just ooze rancid vibes. Farewell. Rancid. Rancid. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then we got- oh, I thought they did a really good job adapting- it's, it's a panel I really like. It's just a panel of Haru looking really intense as he's, like, yeah. walking to Akito. So, like, I thought they did a, an amazing job adapting it. It looks fucking sick. He, he looks, looks awesome. He looks great. Oh, I love Haru. 
the art actually looked a little different than it usually does. Like, it was kind of sketchy. I was like, yeah. yeah. Looked good. It, texture. They're adding the yeah. tex- fruits basket. It's about the texture. It really is about the texture. <laughs> we are we lost the texture of fruits basket, but we got a little we got a little taste of the texture back. Yeah. So Haru rolls up to Akito's room, um, and Akito just fucking bald face lies. Yeah. So oh. funny. I love this. I love like Haru like just like barrels in. The maid is in a tizzy, um, and like she's like. I think this is, like, a good sort of, like, we get a more thorough explanation of, like, the way she views the Zodiac later on in the episode, but she's like, listen, like, you can't do this shit. Like, I'm still above you, um, basically. And Haru is just, like, and you can tell he's, like, he's been holding it together all episode, and he has stopped holding it in now. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I love how calm Akito is. Like, Like, Haru is, like, Probably weighs, like, three times how much Akito weighs. <laughs> like, is clearly fucking angry. Is a trained martial artist. Is Has a history of, like, violent outbursts. And Akito is completely calm. Uh, seems like they're completely unfazed by this behavior. Very much feels like they're in control. And they're just, like, lying. Just completely bald-faced lying. Um, so funny. <laughs> just, like, the confidence... That's, like, that's really, like, what it is about Akito is, like, they are so confident in everything they say. That's why I've been saying that, like, I mean, obviously, they're not buying into this. Like, Akito knows exactly what they did. Um, but, like, they are so confident that they sound like, and sometimes they do believe what they're saying. Yep. Yeah. Um. Not in this, not in this scenario, though. Yeah. And Haru is, like, you are full of fucking shit. Uh, I, like, I know, um, I know you did this. Um, and so Akito is like, oh, who told you? Like, who's spreading these lies? Like, who's feeding you this dece- Like, these, like, hate, this hateful sort of rumor about me. And Haru, uh, because he's great, um, and is like an oracle told me snitches get stitches akito <laughs> i love that he's still sarcastic when he's dark yeah it's I great love him. he has such a good sense of humor so and like this is where akito is like okay so straight up lying is not gonna work <laughs> so the second thing they reach for is playing into like karu's insecurities they're like oh, like, you've always been silly, like, you have these fanciful ideas, you're not very, like, they're, like, insulting his heart as intelligence, which he's, like, very sensitive about. Um, Mm -hmm. Has, like, grown out of that a lot, but that was, like, one of the first things that really upset him as a kid. Um, Yeah. And, uh, Haru is, like, so past this. He's like, I don't, you can't lie to me, you can't try and manipulate my insecurities, you have hurt so many people I love, and you are a nasty, shitty little misogynist. <laughs> yeah. No, Haru fucking reads Akito to filth. He says, you've always been cold to her, to all girls. You say and do cruel things without even blinking. Oh. Yes. Go off, just Haru. Like, just, like, straight to the heart of the matter, which I, is very Haru. I love it. Yeah. Um, and also, I made a, another language note. 
um, as he's speaking to Akito in this entire scene. So there's, in Japanese, there's, um, there's polite speech and there's plain speech. Um, and Haru is speaking to Akito in plain speech, which he shouldn't be, because Akito is, um, his superior, both, um, in age and in status. So he should be speaking to Akito in polite speech, and he's not. He's speaking in plain speech. He's also using, um, there's a lot of different ways you can say you, um, the pronoun you in Japanese. Um, it's polite to not say it at all, um, but you can use it. And he's using the word omai, um, which refers to someone of equal or inferior status, and it can be derogatory. I don't know if it's being, I, I'm not fluent enough to know if it is being used derogatorily here, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Yeah. So he's being, like, crazy rude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, it's great. I mean, it's, like, him being, like, my whole life, like, you have been my god. Like, you have been this, like, cult leader deity I have been told to worship, that I have been told I belong to, and that I am so far below, and I am now done with that shit, and you are not above me, and I don't owe you any respect, um, I don't owe you shit, and you are a nasty little misogynist. Like, and I and I think that, like, as he's saying this to Akito, Akito is standing, like, completely still. Which I think, I think, like, partially Akito is just um, working out how they're going to spin this. Just, like, thinking of what they're going to say next so that they can spin it, the situation. But I also think that, like, yeah, like, going off of what you said about, like, the, the kind of speech he's using and the things that he's saying, the fact that he read Akito so well just here, I think is scary to Akito because it reminds Akito that... Um, they are also human, and, like, really, like, they're not actually better than Haru, and Haru can see Akito and understand Akito, even if Akito, like, doesn't want them, want the Zodiacs to view them that way. Yep. Yep. And, like, Akito's actions are having consequences on the way the Zodiac are being, on the way, like, Akito's being perceived by the other Zodiac. Akito has always operated under this, like, assumption that it's their right to do what they please with any of the zodiac members and the way they treat them is just like their business and if and it shouldn't be anyone else's concerns it's like why akito is like if i sleep with Kareno, that's not of shigure's business if i push ren out a window that's none of haru's business and so the idea that other people that the other zodiac members care about each other more than they might care about akito horrifying yeah nightmare <laughs> So then the next thing Akito does do is, classic Akito, shifts the blame. If you knew what I was like, then why did you pursue her? Yeah. So Akito. And also, this, like, it, it was it was two things. It was like, yeah, like, this is your fault. Like, you knew better. Um, And also, like, I did this because you chose her over me. Like, this was retribution. This was, like, this was your, this was your betrayal. I was just giving back. Like, I was just returning what you gave me you know um as if it's at all the same thing as it's a, <laughs> as if it's and like this is something that akito genuinely believes that akito is like thinks that their actions are completely justified and that it is the same thing that for haru to form a close like an intimate relationship with rin is the fair and normal and totally valid justification 
for Haru choosing Rin over Akito, which is what Akito perceives this as, is to push Rin, a teenage girl, out a window. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And and then Haru grabs Akito. Yeah, Haru grabs Akito. And this is like, yeah, we're starting to see Akito crack. You know, like, in the beginning, Akito was like, I'm fully in control of the situation. This is just Haru. Like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, <laughs> but Haru has not fallen for any of the manipulation tactics. Um, Haru has not calmed down, has not backed off. And so Akito is like, I'm just gonna leave. Like, what I'm doing isn't working. I'm just gonna leave. Um... And Haru stops Akito from leaving, which no one fucking does. Like, Akito is being forced to have this conversation they don't want to have, that they're not in control of, and it's really jarring. And so they're cracking more and more as this conversation goes on. Oh my god, I'm like brain blasting about Shigurei Haru parallels again. <laughs> yeah. Just because, like, like think about like the conversation that Shigurei and Akito were having in a few episodes ago when we find it the Ren reveal. Um, it's the exact same thing. Like, it's Akito struggling for power, um, when they realize that none of their manipulation tactics are working, they try and just leave. Like, if I can't gain the upper hand, then this conversation is over, and, um, both times they're stopped. Um, and also, like, um, with the Shigure Haru parallels, um, Haru has sort of tried to, like, rebuke Akito before, like, we see in the lake house that he actually does try and stand up for himself. Um, when Akito, like, says shitty things to him and Akito just kind of dismisses it. Um, and so, like, out of all of the Zodiac, Shigure is the first one to really push back against Akito by having sex with Ren. Like, that was, that was it. it was, that was the pushback. Um, and he continues to try and push back against Akito, just in more subtle ways throughout the, the show. Um, but, and Haru is the first teenager, um... Sort of. Now I'm thinking like Momiji also. Momiji pushes oh, like, back against Akito. Like Yuki had his little like. But I don't feel like he was. It was. It was not a pushback. It was more just like Yuki kind of like gently setting a boundary for himself right. emotionally, and Akito yeah. per- per- perceived that as a crazy betrayal. But it wasn't necessarily like, like Haru was like, I want to, I want you to like explain yourself, fix the situation, I want you to fix this. And Yuki didn't care. Yuki's just like, I need, like, my own space. I'm just, I'm my own, this is my own business. Yuki did that for himself. Yeah. But I and feel like Haru was doing it to, f- like, for Akito. Like, yeah. Haru was doing this to Akito to get to Akito. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um but Yeah. Also, Haru's, like, screaming. <laughs> yeah, Haru. Oh, yeah, um, I have to talk about his fucking amazing Japanese voice actor. Um, he's incredible. He's so good at the levels, because, like, Haru is, like, a hard... I feel like he's probably a very hard character to play, because, like, for the most part, he's a very chill and relaxed guy. He's got a very strange sense of humor. Um, and and he's not, like, a loud person. Um, and so when the scene starts, like, he's not yelling, like, but he is super intense, uh, and you can tell he's pissed. And so when then he does start to yell, it, like, really hits. Because, like, he, like, he starts very low. Like, yeah. like, just his baseline is very low. And then the intensity where he starts the scene at, um, he's still, you know, at a 60. Yeah. He's great. Oh, he kills yeah. this. And, like, he's yeah, Haru's, awesome. 
It's like you basically have to voice act almost two different characters to voice act Haru, and both characters require, like, some skill, some finesse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's knocking it out. Yeah, he really impressed me this episode. I've always really, really liked him, but Haru is not a character who usually has moments, like, um, that are this, um, that makes such big of an impact, I guess. Yeah. Ugh. I fucking love Haru. Um, yeah. And so, then, Kureno. Kureno pops in, right? Mm-hmm. Kureno pops in, like, right as Haru's getting really worked up and, like, being like, where the fuck is Rin? <laughs> and, uh, Kureno's like, I took her to the hospital. And I just, like, I love this scene, because, like, Haru is, like, I think some combination of like he feels awful because she's in the hospital. He's like obviously whatever happened bad happened to her was bad enough that she got hospitalized again. He staggers back probably feeling like relief that at least like she's okay. Like she's going to be okay, but she's also hurt. She also went through something horrible and traumatic again. And so he's staggering back. And then Kureno, who just, you know, did a big like rebellion, but is also like goes over to Akito and, like, gently touches Akito's face and is like, Akito, we don't kidnap teenage girls. <laughs> uh, it's like, I'm... Akito, you can't just do whatever you want. Akito's like, um, excuse me? <laughs> yeah, and Akito's freaking out. Akito's like, how fucking dare you do this? And, like, Akito's like, you betrayed me, you did this to me. And Haru is hearing this, hearing that this is how Akito feels about this situation, and his vision just blurs, which was yeah. great. Like, uh, yeah. It was, that was a really good choice to cut away from the violence. It was a really good choice. Oh, it was so good. And then, yeah, he reels up and you, like, see him, like, pull back to hit. To, like, throw a punch. And that was great. And then we cut away to this, like, flashback. Um, Cow collar stays on during sex. Cow collar stays on during sex. <laughs> um, so this is where I talk about why i don't like haru rin like at all for either of them i think it sucks um like it was it was kind of fun when they were broken up but um by and large i just like i have issues i have so many issues um so it, it's very much like as i was talking earlier like this whole like men as protectors women as emotional providers dynamic that we were seeing earlier in the episode with hero and his sister and hero and kisa is now here in a big way that i fucking hate with um haru and rin i just what i hate about this so much what i hate about this is that like like obviously haru is gonna feel guilty like Obviously, Haru is going to be, like, someone I love because of their relationship with me um, was abused and hurt and wounded. Um, and so there's obviously, you know, escaping those, like, feelings of guilt um, and also just feelings of, like, oh, like, this is someone I cared about and I couldn't protect them. Um, but it's this idea that, like... I don't like how it's, like, I mean, the only way I can make this make sense to myself is this is, like, kind of the curse forcing Haru to internalize what Akito said to the him. But it also just is, like, I don't think it makes sense that Haru as a character who really, really values autonomy and freedom and, like, personal choice 
doesn't understand that Rin made this decision just as much as he did. That it wasn't like Haru selfishly putting Rin into a dangerous situation, which is what he's saying. It was also like Rin choosing to put herself in that situation because she loved Haru and because she wanted to be in a relationship with him. And like to her, that was worth the risks they were taking. It's not that like Rin obviously knew, like Rin's not an idiot. Um, <laughs> Rin knows more intimately the consequences of what she's doing than Haru does. Um, so the idea that Haru, like, wouldn't understand this and wouldn't, like, understand that, like, it's not his sole responsibility to, like, protect Rin and make these hard decisions for her. Like, he obviously wants Rin to, like, any version of Haru that I understand as a character throughout the story would understand and respect Rin's choices, um... And wouldn't be like, I, like, put her, like, this is my fault, like, because, like, I very selfishly, like, wanted to be in this relationship with her. Like, he would have understood that this was her decision, too. So, like, I just, like, don't think it makes sense for Haru at all. Um, I hate this dynamic of, like, Haru is the big manly protector guy that must save her, and her is, like, because I think Rin is one of the characters, like, I like Rin at her, like, I think Rin is at her most compelling when she's, like, marching around like being like i'm sick of not being in control i'm gonna solve this i'm gonna fix this curse i'm gonna break out of this i'm taking control i'm fighting back like that's what rin is to me is she's a character that has been so downtrodden and in such horrible situations and she's instead of giving up and shutting down like yuki did her response was to get mean to get like aggressive to fight back and to scramble and claw and make any horrible decision she like she offers to sleep with shigure because that's how desperate she is to make to like get shit to change so like her being this like passive character that needs to be protected makes me want to fucking ralph um, <laughs> yeah this is why i don't like Rin because it fucks up both of their fucking characters it's not good, yeah, because their character, both of them, like their characters, are so focused on individuality. And, I mean, that's why they both dress the way they do. Yeah. Um. And and then Haru says this line. He says, "I wanted Rin all for myself," which, first of all, very Shigure esque. Um. Uh. But it makes sense for Shigure because Shigure is extremely selfish, and Haru is not. Yeah. Um. But, but it also goes against, like, a previous scene where we see, like, Rin's point of view of um, a conversation she's having with Haru in bed, where she's like, I want to be, like, his heart or whatever. And he says, it's kind of glib, but um, he says, like, that I wouldn't be able to kiss you. But, like, the point of that is that, like, no, you're your own person. Yeah. So then why say, I want her all for myself? Like, the, it goes against what he was saying before. <laughs> it's bad. And the it's reason, bad. And the reason that, one of the reasons that I think Rin loves Haru so much is because he does think of, he does think of her as um, her own individual. Yeah. <sighs> like I, I liked the first Haru Rin episode. That yeah. like worked for me, but this one, like the way they're kind of resolving them, terrible. I think it like brings out. I think it's just like out of the way it's handled is out of character for both characters, and it sucks and plays into a bunch of archaic gender roles. Yeah. It's a bad time, and I hate it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Sad. Um, and then we return back to uh, the present. Yeah. Which, we get this. I love that. This, was, this is, like, one of my favorite panels. I was really excited that they adopted it really well. Of Haru boxing Akito in with his fist, where he cannot hit Akito. No, he but can't. he sure can freak Akito out. 
<laughs> like, I would like to see Haru punch Akito. <laughs> but, like, he physically can't, I think, because of the curse. No. But also, um, you know, Yuki says something to Kyo in the very, very beginning of Fruits Basket. Sometimes not getting kicked hurts more. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yuki Which I think it, it really does. Yeah, he did. But I think that that really applies here. Yeah, for that, sure. Yeah, that the that the only that now Akito knows that the only thing keeping Haru from straight up assaulting them <laughs> is is the curse. It's the only thing. Yep. Haru wants to hurt Akito. Haru is like mentally broken out. Like Akito no longer has the same ability to manipulate and control Haru that they once had, and yeah, now it's hanging by a thread. Um, yeah. yeah. And then Haru walks away, and Akito is like, like, wants, like, stop, come back, and Haru says, like, shut up. Like, you speaking makes me want to kill you and then myself, which is like, holy shit, Haru! (laughs) He's not fucking around! (laughs) He's not! It's like, no one has ever said that shit to Akito. Mm-mm. Ever. Ever. Yeah, it's pretty powerful that it's towards Akito, because Kyo has said that, but it's about Yuki. Yeah. No one has ever said that shit to Akito. No one... And it, the fact that it's a Zodiac member, you know, that's like, I fucking hate you, and I want... Like, <laughs> you make me want to die, and make me want you to die. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's an intense emotion. Yeah. God. Yeah. And then he walks away. And you, f- and then he feels that tug, like that curse, like Akito is calling for him back, and he can feel that compulsion. Um, and Kurono steps out, and you can see that Haru's on this precipice, and is like, "I walked back, but you shouldn't." Like, which is great. I loved yeah. that. And then you see the the little like curse cord fray. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that was a good use of the the bungee cords. The bungee, oh, the bungee cord discourse we had last cords. time. We <laughs> I, know I think they're lost. red. I think they're red. I don't think they're blue and yellow. Um, I don't. I don't fucking know, man. Anyway. They just look like bungee cords to me. <laughs> okay. Um, I just th- like Chinese knots are beautiful, <laughs> and are. those are not. <laughs> um. Um. Yeah. So Akito experiences consequences for their actions, and they're having an absolute meltdown over it just like toddler screaming in the grocery store meltdown like banging their fists against the floor screaming like why does everyone want to betray me like it's just like akito is such a narcissist that they can't they cannot conceive that their actions are the problem that it's everyone else and so because everyone in akito's mind is turning on them for no reason um as opposed to Akito is doing things that is making everyone hate their guts. <laughs> God. It's it's just like totally conflicting with like the their core belief of like their own reality. Yeah. Like it's yeah, they just don't understand that they can do things that upset other people and that will change <laughs> their opinion of them. Like Yeah. They don't understand that that's a that's a two way street. If people, because like obviously the uh, actions of others can upset Akito, but Akito doesn't think that their own actions should ever have consequences ever. Right. 
Um, but yeah, I love how childish this breakdown is. Also, Maya Sakamoto absolutely, like, killed this entire scene, but particularly this meltdown. Like, I, like, I mean, Akito sounds like a little kid. It's awesome. And yeah. at the very end, they're, like, pleading for their father, which is, it's very, like, it's this thing that Akito le- leans back on, like, like, I'm a child, like, everyone else is, like, conspiring against me, and, like, I'm just this innocent figure. Yeah. Um, My life is so hard, and no one understands me, and no one loves me best, and, like, (laughs) no one's on my side. Yeah. Um, The way Akito, like, literally has only child syndrome. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the... Just because now we, like, we have a fuller picture um of the systems that are at play with akito and their entitlement to the zodiac um so we have like we already know this and this is also something that is discussed in this episode is the systemic that akito was born into an already constructed system of abuse and groomed by adults in the system to believe um the this entitlement and then um their behavior is enabled like literally for their entire life so there's the systemic and then there's like this personal so akito so Their self-worth, Akito, was conditioned to believe that the reason that they were born was to be loved by the Zodiac, and so when that starts crumbling, so does their self-worth and their sense of identity. And then there's also this thing of Akito's parents. So, as we discussed earlier, um, Akito regards Akira in extremely high esteem, um, clearly the favorite parent, um, and... The bond is what keeps this concept, the the bond and the concept of eternal love is what keeps Akito connected to him, which is implied when Akito says, um, they're like, I was born to be loved. I know because he told me, he told me, Akira told me. Um, So it's what's keeping them connected to Akira, who's gone. Um, And then on the flip side, if the Zodiacs betray Akito, then it proves Ren right. Yep. That's the thing about Ren. Like, she sucks, but she's right. <laughs> Worst person you know made a good point. <laughs> that is Ren as a character. Um, it's just yeah, Akito that's... is coming apart at the fucking seams. Their whole world yeah. is crumbling apart around them, as it should. <laughs> yeah, Akito really be going through it in Act 3. Akito had such a good spiral. It's great. I mean, it's like... All of the, like, external things that make up their world are coming apart. Like, the Zodiac are pushing away from them, are seeking freedom and autonomy and, like, a life outside of the Somas. And then Akito's, like, internal, like, self-conception about how the world works, about who they are as a person is, like, starting to just, like, fray apart. And so everything is just crumbling. And they have... And, like, that's all they have. Akito, because they are a crazy, serial, abusive cult leader, this is all they have. Like, they Mm -hmm. don't have anyone who loves them for them, really. (laughs) (laughs) They have Shigeru, and that's a mess. Like, like, that's all they have. They have Shigeru. And everything else that they've built their whole life around, they're losing because they've never tried to make a genuine connection with another human being ever before Mm -hmm. in their life 
Yeah. And I feel like it also speaks to, like, how the so- this Soma family system is designed to isolate people. Yeah. And that is exactly what happened with Akito. Like, Akito... I don't... I actually disagree. I don't think it's that Akito never made the choice to make a genuine human connection with someone. I don't think that it was ever an, an option for Akito. Yeah. Because they were so isolated. Like, I don't even know if Akito, like, went to school. <laughs> I guess, like, it was, like... Yeah, they, they never had a... Con- uh, 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 words they never had an opportunity to make a connection like outside of the somas but they never had they never built connections with the people around them in a way that wasn't based on fear and control so like right because what they have all they have is these abusive relation these like controlling abusive relationships they don't have there's nothing past that there's nothing that would make Mm -hmm. anyone ever want to stay with the curse gone like, mm-hmm. so all they have is the curse and manipulation. And right. those two things are both coming apart, and there's nothing else that would tie anyone to Akito. Yeah. But I do also think, and, like, I'm not trying to take, like, the responsibility off Akito, but Akito, the way that Akito was raised, I don't think that Akito ever would have had the opportunity to look at these people as human. Because they were raised from infanthood to view the zodiacs as their personal things. Yeah. Like like normal relationships were never modeled for Akito. So Akito is like going off this like going off this information that was given to them by the adults in the family. Yeah, no, for sure. Like I th- I think that's like it's like part of the tragedy, right? Is that like right. Akito be like as in this environment that's molded them into the type of person that's only formed these extremely toxic relationships that are held together by magic and abuse, and yeah, now it's all falling apart. I don't think that there is a reality where the head of the family is not an abuser. Yeah. I can't wait to get to Akita. Uh, <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about Akita. I, like, remember nothing, honestly, about Akita. I'm so excited to talk about Akita. They were um, a guy. He was a twink, and he did die of gay twink disease. He really did. He really did. Is that a spoiler? I mean, we know Akira's dead, so I don't we care. We know he's dead, right? Yeah. We know he's dead. We know he's a twink. I think we know he's a twink. Whatever. He's a twink. If, if I spoil you guys for the fact that Akira's a twink, like, I don't feel bad. I'm sorry. Like, look at his, look at his child. Of course he yeah. was a twink. It came from somewhere. Like, it wasn't Ren. It wasn't Ren. Ren is, like, two feet taller than Akito. Um, <laughs> Ren is like breasting boobily down the stairs, like yeah, like <laughs> no twin there. Anyway, <laughs> shall we move on? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, every time I think about Ren, I think about that. Corono <laughs> um, and the maid. Corono, Corono and the maid. It's maid time again. Maid time again. Um, first of all, her voice actor is amazing. Ah, <laughs> the way she right. like fucking delivered all those lines with her entire chest. I was shook. Okay. So this maid is a maid we've seen before. She clearly has power in the family. Um, power enough to admonish someone like Kurano and Hatori, who are very high ranking. Um, pract- I mean, Kurano is Akito's right hand man. I guess Hatsuri is Akito's left-hand man. I don't know. Um, um, yeah, so she has power. She has influence. Um, she has a close personal relationship with Akito and the inner family. Um, 
and she's very established. She's an established member of the family. So she is being benefited by this system um, with power and influence, and presumably money, because there's like a whole lot of money exchange going on in the Soma family that isn't really discussed. Um, so in, And so she knows everything that's going on. Um, and so like in exchange for this power, um, she's helping um, aid in the maintenance of a system that thrives off of fear and exploitation, particularly of children, and she's rewarded with power. Um, and I think it also speaks to how when you're living under a system of oppression but you're benefiting from it, you will buy into the propaganda that's being used to justify it. And so when I say propaganda with the Soma family, I'm talking about the Zodiac curse and also the like contemporary narrative of the Zodiacs belong to the head of the family thing. Um, so I think like it is like really interesting commentary on systems of oppression and what happens when you're benefiting from it and how blinded, how purposefully blinded you are of all these terrible things when you're benefiting so much or maybe not purposely blinded, but just deciding straight up not to care. I mean, it's like hard for like a human being to be like, this is here is like something that I've built my life around that has brought me great, like personal and financial gain and I've been told my whole life that like what I'm doing is right and that this is how it works and what makes sense and it's been working like it works for me so like if it ain't broke don't fix it um even though it's obviously so fucking broken um so yeah no it's it's great I also I like that it kind of clarifies sort of like I like the line where it's like without Akicho you're all just monsters like the cat. Like, the Zodiac to the, like, high-ranking staff of the family, and I guess, I mean, just to the Soma family in general, um, who, any of them, are, like, in a position to maybe be the next person to have a Zodiac kid, right? And so they're already indoctrinated with this idea that, like, the Zodiac are basically monsters that are, like, are uh, benevolent leaders, very precious things. And so we have to treat them with a certain, like, they're important and they're valuable and you get money if you have one. Um, but they're also, like, nasty, not human beings, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's it's good. And it's this good, like, sense of, like, and it explains, like, why, like, and it's also there's a disconnect between, like, the way that, like, the high, the humans in the, or not the humans, but, like, the uh, the non-cursed members of the somas feel about the zodiac versus how akito feels about the zodiac because like akito values the zodiac members way above anyone else i think um mm -hmm. cares more about them and their connection to them than any other high-ranking staff members versus other somas are like it goes akito real humans and then the zodiac but the zodiac have certain privileges because they're akito's special things right um I also yeah. like the shot choice um, here where they're having this conversation in front of um, the camellia bush, um, which the camellias are connected to Akito. It's Akito's symbol. So, like, it, yeah, it also, like, goes to show, like, how the system works. Like, even if Akito is not physically present, um, Akito's will is being um, carried out by other people. 
um, just by proxy of this system that, like, like I said, like, Akito cannot do all of these things individually. The reason that Akito is so powerful is because there's a huge system built around Akito's power. Yep. It's fun. And it re- I think it really does help explain, like, the total, like, just how terribly almost all of Zodiac members' parents treat them. Because they're already primed with all of this propaganda about what the Zodiac members are. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Great episode we... for world building. Truly. Um, then we get this. This is what we were confused about uh, a few weeks ago that Rin sees Toru crying. Yeah. And she's like mad because she, she saw Kareno. And she's like, oh, yeah. Kareno made Toru cry, and I don't know why. I'm going to go find out. I'm going to go punch him. <laughs> like, good for God, yeah. I want Rin to punch Kareno so bad. <laughs> My kingdom for Rin punching Kareno. <laughs> if only. The good timeline. Um, yeah. The timeline where Ren's whole character arc doesn't get nerfed, and instead her character arc plays out in a satisfying way, and she gets to punch Kareno. Um, Society F. Um, yeah, so then we have, like, yeah, so she's, like, desperately searching for shit. Oh, right, so uh, Ren is like, go find the box for me. And Ren's like, okay. So she, <laughs> that's how that went down. Um, and so she goes to... Akito's room, and I wanted to talk about the ghosts. <laughs> the fucking ghosts, yeah. Yuki ghost in the corner of the room. Which, it's first of all, she's like, Yuki I'm going to Akito's room, and then she opens a door, and it's the room that Yuki was in. And so I, I, for this whole time, I thought that Yuki had his own room just in the main house, but I guess he did not. He just shared a room with Akito. That fucking sucks. That sucks, bro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like a bad roommate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I want to talk about the ghost because it also happens, like, uh, later in the episode, too, where I was a little confused at first. I was thinking, is just, this just, like, an association Rin has with the room? Um, is she thinking of who else she could help by breaking the curse? Is she thinking about Haru? Because I think that she really connects Yuki to Haru, primarily, because um, mm-hmm. she doesn't like Yuki. Um, like, fuck that guy. Um, but I think, like, what I decided by the end of the episode was that it has to do with, like, breaking, um, generational trauma. That's mm-hmm. my best guess. And, which yeah. is the curse, you know? The right. curse is generational trauma is the curse. <laughs> right, exactly. Um. So I think, yeah, like, her seeing that, like, child Yuki, like, in one of the, if not the worst time in his life. Um, yeah. And if Rin manages to break the curse, that that will never happen to anyone ever again. Yep. No more no more ghost Yukis ever again. No more ghost Yuki. The end of ghost Yuki's past. <laughs> ghost Yuki can finally ascend to the next life. <laughs> to rat heaven. <laughs> to rat heaven. Rat heaven for ghost Yuki. Um, he can finally fly backwards into that door <laughs> and never come back. Um, yeah. you know what would be wild world building if the reason <laughs> that, um, all of the Zodiac members can communicate with, like, random ass rats and shit is because they're, like, reincarnated past, uh, Zodiac members of the same, uh, <laughs> like, if after you die and you're the rat, all you have, you, you just have to get reincarnated as a rat over and over again for the rest that of eternity. That sounds horrible. 
And then you're at the beck and call of whoever the next rat boy is. Yeah, for real. That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> anyway, here's a random theory I posited. It's not based in canon or anything. Um, and now that I've said it, it's existentially horrifying. Yay! Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, Ghost Yuki wants to go to rat heaven. Um, yeah. Fly backwards through the doors into rat heaven. Um <laughs> The pearly gates of rat heaven. Yeah, so Rin goes, and me and Sophie uh, have some differing opinions on, on this. Like, she goes and she gets the box, and then Akito appears, and we get the, like, the cords, the curse cords, which Sophie think look like ugly bunch- bungee cords, and I don't really hate them. I think they're, like, I a little thick, so. but, like, I think they look- <laughs> they, re- they remind me of, like, like, Chinese knot tying and stuff, and, like, I like the idea of, like, this, like, ancient- art form that's like all about like tying also being like the visual metaphor for the curse um you know it's about ties and uh connections um but sophie thinks they look like bungee cords which i guess is fair i also like that idea i wish they were chinese knots (laughs) yeah i mean they're not knots they're just like random rope but yeah uh but yeah i thought that they looked really ugly um, but regardless of that, I like the facial expressions, and I liked the blocking, like, I like the camera angles that they used, like, I can tell yeah. it's fucking scary. I liked that, I liked, I liked that the chords showed up here just because I liked, like, kind of the horror movie chord it struck, mm-hmm. like, like, Akito is the monster that came in, like, and, uh, has all of this power over Rin, has, is this, like, huge, terrifying, life-threatening presence, um. yeah. Yeah. I liked it. It was, like, scary. I like it in the function that, like, I, I, like, my big problem is just the aesthetic of it. Like, I don't, yeah. like, it's not the idea that I don't like. It's the aesthetic that they chose. Um, but I like it as, like, a con, like, of, because, like, from here on out with, with Rin's POV, like, it becomes very surreal. Um, and I like the, like, unreality of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then she has, she sees, she's like, oh, Akito's like mom when she gets mad, which is like horrifying. Um, (laughs) Please, someone stop letting people who are extremely physically violent around Ren. Anyway, um, poor Ren. And then things get hazy. You keep saying Ren. Ren, Christ. Ren. Reen. It's actually Reen. It is Reen. Um, Her name is really hard to pronounce for me. Like, if I actually tried to pronounce it in Japanese, it's like Dean. Just when it starts with the R, it's really hard for me. Dean. 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 (laughs) It's that hard. That fucking R is so hard in the beginning of a word for me. Dean. I think I... I don't know. Because it would be the same sound as, like, if you're saying, like, kakeru. Kakeru. Dean. Kakeru. I think I can do it. Dean. It's like a tongue tap. Yeah. Dean. Anyway, <laughs> pronunciation lesson. It's hard as fuck. Um, so then um, Akito brings Rin into the cat room, um, which I like. Okay. Before we get into like why they do the haircutting, I didn't like the way it was adopted. Like, because Akito is sending a very strong message here, and it didn't feel that way the way that it was directed. Like, it felt like. 
it felt, like, too casual, but not too casual in a stylistic way. Like, if Akito was being, like, very casual about it, like, I think that would have been fine with them. That would have at least sent some sort of message. But I think that, like, it really should have been something that was very intentional. Because yeah. Akito is being very intentional here. It's just, like, a huge violation. So I think it should have either, yeah, it should have felt... Like, it should have made... It's a scene that should have made your skin crawl. Right. Like, either by doing it in a very stylized, casual way, or by doing it in a more, like, explicitly intense and, like, violation... Like, a more explicitly, like, violatory, like, way. But it, it, it should either... However you play it, I think it should have been a kind of the kind of scene that makes your skin crawl, and it just wasn't. Right. Because this, this like, is... It's an act of misogynistic violence. Yeah. Like, it's Akito being, like your autonomy like you don't have autonomy like you belong to me and and doubly so because you're a woman and i'm a man like that is the message that akito is sending so yeah it, it didn't it it was not nearly as intense as it should have been and it's this like and akito very much has this view of like sexuality as power right that's like what they've been taught sex is power sex is a tool and i think and akito has connected this like long flowing feminine hair to like as this, like, I don't know, like, bi- like, pa- like tool and, like, uh, something that can be used to, like, engage in this, like, you know, like, sexual appeal as a form of power. Mm-hmm. And so Akito is like, I'm taking this away from you. Like, you no longer will use, will have this ability to, like, deceive men with your feminine wiles anymore because I'm taking your hair away from you, which is, like, Akito. Um- Akito also associates like this like long flowing black hair with Ren. Yeah. And so like I do think like it is somewhat of like a fantasy Mm -hmm. that Akito's kind of like sticking it to Ren here. Um and and hurting hurting Rin the way that like when you think about like the way that like Ren robbed Akito of their womanhood. Yeah. And so like um and and obviously like I don't this is not conscious. <laughs> no. Cause Akito would never admit that that they were robbed. Um but yeah, it's like an act of violence against Ren as well. Yeah, for sure. By because, proxy of Ren. Because Takaya really was like, you know what would be subtle if I made Akito's mom <laughs> look so much like Reen and also have a name one um, vowel away from her name. Great job. Great, Takaya, thank you, Takaya. That Very one. subtle. Um, <laughs> a real light touch. <laughs> <laughs> she really did not have to name her Ren. Literally did not. Unnecessary. Ren isn't even her name. She's a nickname. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Her I, name I, is I think a at Suzu. some point we figured out why where that why. nickname came from. Huh? I know why. Why? Um, the, it's the last character of um the kanji in her name. Okay. Can be pronounced Reen. Makes sense. Um, and then Akito threatens Haru's eyesight, which I thought was. I couldn't. What's I also your... was like, was this in the manga? I don't remember. I don't remember. Was this necessary, Akito? Uh, I mean, you're locking it's her like... in a cage. Like, um... I don't think she's gonna try and leave. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I thought the eyesight might have been, like, maybe a callback to Hattori to, like, prove that Rin- to prove to Rin that, like, they're capable of it, which I don't really think that Akito needs to prove to Rin that they're capable of violence, because they have done so many times. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I thought it might have also been just, you know, when you talk about, like, eyes. Eyes in Fruits Basket are, like, emotions, so it could be, you know, taking away Haru's feelings for Rin. Uh, it also could be just, you know, eyes in general, you know, you see out of them, so taking away any, like, vision of the future. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Who I don't knows? remember that line from the manga. Neither do I. <laughs> Oh, also, I keep forgetting to, I forgot to mention it last time, too. They cut the plot hole. <laughs> they did, they cut the plot hole. So the plot hole is that in the manga, um, Kurino picks Rin up and carries her out the cat room, which he would not be able to do because she would have turned into, like, a 1,200-pound horse and crushed him and killed him. Um, yeah. So they cut that. Uh, I was kind of hoping they would keep it in, but it's very obviously an oversight. <laughs> yeah. Was probably a good adaptational choice to leave yeah, out, yeah, yeah. but it is But I, I just think it would be it, funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then, is this where we get Reen starting to stagger, stagger around blearily? Or is this, is this maid time, maid time three? It is maid number three. Yeah, it's maid number three. Okay. Um, well, it's Rin being like, I'm gonna die for Haru or whatever, because yeah. she just has this unresolved sacrificial martyr thing. And then we get Ren's, Ren's maid. Yeah. I love how Ren just hates Rin for no fucking reason. For no fucking reason. She's like, Literally I fucking hate no this reason. kid. <laughs> like, like, I, I really can't figure out why. Is it because she's a girl? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe she reminds her of herself. I guess. Yeah. She was like, nasty little girl. And I'm like, okay, lady. But even if she did remind her of herself, like, I don't think that Ren is particularly self-hating. No. I don't know. I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Ren's maid. So the first two maids we get, we get the reason that the first one is serving is because she's being um, extorted. The second one is serving because... Um, she is being rewarded with power. But the third maid, she doesn't really seem to have any significant power, and she doesn't really seem to be driven by fear. Um, she's comfortable with Ren, and she talks about the curse very casually. Uh, so I think that, like, this is an example of someone who is simply existing under the system and making no big moves and just maintaining the status quo, because this is what their life is. And this is how- and- and that's what their life has always been, because presumably all of these maids are somas, if they know about the curse. Mm -hmm. um, that when you're not being particularly hurt under this under this system, you'll just keep going along with it. Yep. Yeah. Also, it just speaks to, like, the absolute dehumanization of all of the Zodiac members in the eyes of all of the, the Soma adults. That they really don't think of them as people, which is, like, fucked because they literally raise them. <laughs> Imagine getting raised by just, like, people that really, really just don't think you're a human being. Yeah. Like, no wonder Yugi has fucking problems and issues. Like... No wonder, like, literally all of them have fucking problems and issues. But, like, those maids raised yeah. Yugi specifically. And Momiji, I think. Oh, true. Yeah. Because Momiji was just raised by probably, like, random household staff. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pretty fucked. Um, and then we go back to Rin. Um, um, we get this very cool sequence, um, I liked it, of, uh, Rin in the cat room. She's, like, hallucinating. Like, she, yeah. um, like, we saw that she, she, like, climbed out of the window in the hospital, and then, um, she's in the cat's room again. 
And there was this really cool shot from the ceiling, and she's, like, surrounded by all of her hair. Um, yeah. Which I really liked that shot. And there was this sick fucking track underneath. I love this, like, might be my favorite track, like, that they've played so far. It's just, like, traditional Japanese percussion um, that's, like, being used under Rin's monologue. And I think that it, like, really helps bring out the, like, dreamlike and, like, surrealist quality of of Rin's, like, thoughts right now like she's so totally detached from reality um and also the percussion like the sound reminded me of the sound of bamboo hitting rocks that a lot of times is used as the establishing shot um to for various places in the soma estate um it was a sick fucking track i like how like pared down it was it was very nice i didn't really pay any attention to it because i can't hear <laughs> <laughs> i'll send it to you but, I took a voice memo of it. <laughs> God. Um, yeah, no, I liked it. Um, I liked th- I liked this sequence, even though it's like I like it makes like I th- I like I have more issues like this episode with like Haru and his end of the perception of this relationship, but like still like like Reen being like I have like I failed like it was like I wanted to like be able to do this thing and I gave it everything and now I'm like I I failed. She literally thinks she's, like, dying. Like, um, yeah, poor Reen. And she's having these, like, flashbacks, and she just wants, she's like, I just want to, like, be with Haru one last time before I fucking die. Um, (laughs) yeah. And then, and then Haru is, like, shows up and is like, hey, Reen, like, I got you. And and I, I just, like, I hate how this is resolved. Like, on the one hand, like, I am not immune to, um, not to me, not if it's you. Um, but on the other hand, I hate, I think, like, what would have made sense is, like, Haru shows up and he's like, you can, like, put this down. Like, you, you can be done. Like, I'll carry you. Um, which sucks. Mm -hmm. I think it would have made more sense for, like, like, Haru and Rain both have a stake in this. Like, they both, like their lives are very much affected by this thing that Reen is fighting against. So why would it make sense? Like, I think what would have made sense for Haru to be like, let, like, let us do this together. Like, you've been, like, doing this alone has been, like, destroying you and has been hurting you and has been having you put yourself in extremely dangerous situations and you've been doing this all on your own because you've been trying to protect me and trying to, like just like do everything on your own and i like you can you can rely on me like i can help you do this and we can do this together i think that would have made a lot of sense for them mm-hmm. the fact that he's like don't worry rin i'm here now and you can give up your character arc you can give up your driving <laughs> motivation like do you need a goal anymore no we're straight married um <gasps> straight married women don't need motivation no. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it sucks because it's, like, I, like, Takaya did sort of, okay, like, I actually think, like, it would have been, like, a nice wrap-up to a character who copes with her trauma by being hyper-individualistic, um, by learning that she can, like, lean on other people, right? Like, that would have been satisfying, like, if she hadn't done it the way that she did it, but she kind of started to do it, and then just, I dropped it, like, with Toru, like, they have this whole conversation about how they're both going to start relying on each other and they're not going to do things alone anymore. And then 
it just never comes back. And then she just, like, gives up and lets Haru do all the work. It's like, why not learn from that and learn to lean on Toru or even, like you said, Haru and do it together? Yeah. But, yeah, I I don't like it. I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like this bit at all. I think it sucks for Reen. I think it sucks for Haru. And then there's some random children there. Uh, there. There sure are. Oh, also, I didn't like how long her hair still was. I hope that they yeah. cut it shorter. Um, I think she, they like will. cleans it up because um, I feel like like it's still like the whole thing was her, that Akito was attacking her femininity, <laughs> and also Akito gives Rin a haircut that like looks like Akito's. Yeah, like it's the same length. So yeah, okay. Oh, also we get ghosts here for the, the same we get reason. Ghosts. And it's like, look, Haru is not literally eleven anymore, so he can pick you up. I know, he's like, oh, I couldn't do it anymore because I was too weak. Like, yeah, because you were 11. <laughs> like, you were physically too weak to pick her up because you were 11. <laughs> you were very small, and she's like... And she was, and she's like two she's years, like older, two than years older than you. So, she was bigger <laughs> than you. It's okay. Um, uh, and then there's a very inappropriate pop song that happens underneath that we yeah. discovered last time was the ED, but man, it sounded bad. Just very it out of place. sounded bad. It sounded bad. They need to stop with the fucking pop music. It just like does not like match. Like when it like when like a lot of the time it doesn't match. Sometimes it does. In season one. They sometimes they every now and then they swing it, but sometimes no. A lot of the times no. no. Most of the times no. no. Yeah. That's the episode. That is the episode. Um, um Yeah, it was a good one. I can't wait to hang up this call and watch the shit show I assume that is awaiting me on Crunchyroll.com. Uh, yeah. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Here it comes. All right. Take All us right. out, Sophie. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to check us out on Twitter and Tumblr, we're at SomaSoGood. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.